Well, Merry Christmas. We still have our points out as up. And we're still opening presents today. Woo! I want to talk to you this morning. I think God does. And uh, my wife had no idea what I was doing this morning. I want to talk to you about the gift of the Word of God. The gift of the Word of God. God's Word, the Holy Bible, still the best-selling book ever, right? Ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, containing 66 individual writings, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New, written by 40 authors on three different continents in three different languages over the course of somewhere between 1,500 and 2,000 years. That's a lot from, you know, 14-something B.C. on forward. The Bible has survived incredible uh, attempts to eradicate it from different rulers, different uh, societies around the world uh, through the years. Um, they just they don't want it. Um, so they've tried to stamp it out, and yet it survives. Some have called it the love letter from God. I like that. Uh, others like the acronym B-I-B-L-E, Basic Instructions Before Leaving Earth, uh, which is also pretty cool, but I'll tell you, it does have the basics, but it has a whole lot more as well, doesn't it? Absolutely. People ask, well, how do I know the Bible is true? I know I'm speaking to the choir here for the most part, and maybe Zoomers as well, but um, how, how do we know that the Bible is true? Well, there, there's many reasons for this, and I'm just going to highlight some before, for you this morning, because uh, this is a sermon and not a seminar. If it was a seminar, I could get into a whole lot of uh, uh, maybe some Lee Strobel stuff and Josh McDowell stuff and, and uh, you know, really talk about the evidence for the validity of Scripture. But the, I'm, I'm going to give you the highlights this morning. First of all, manuscript evidence. In any historical literature, the more manuscripts that you have of that literature in whole or in part, the more chance there are that you have the, uh, the real deal there. Uh, Josh McDowell says this. He says, of just the known 5,800 plus Greek New Testament manuscripts, and there's Latin, etc., cetera, uh, even more than that, but there are more than 2.6 million pages of that's just the New Testament that we have, uh, which equates to one mile, uh, if you set them side by side, one mile of New Testament manuscripts um, and 2.5 miles for the entire Bible. Compared with an average of four feet of manuscripts that we have by the average classical writer. In both the Old and New Testaments, we have more than 66,000 manuscripts and scrolls that speak of the validity of Scripture. The great discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, which dated back to up to 250 B.C. Uh, to up to just before 70 A.D., proved just how accurate our modern translations are. They, uh, they look, uh, are, the one that we have, that, uh, which is called the Masoretic Text, that most of our modern uh, Bibles are translated from because it's the oldest, uh, was from about 900 A.D. 
And uh, now we've got something dated back to 250 BC, and when you look at them, they are virtually identical, which is a miracle, you know, because we're dealing with human beings. And they, they really did. These scribes took this so, so uh, seriously and importantly uh, when they would, because they didn't have the printing press, you know, back then, so they would by hand continue to make copies of the scriptures, and you see God's hand preserving it for us down through the generations. So you have the manuscript evidence. You have archaeological evidence. Uh, I remember an article by Time Magazine years ago um, that pointed to different uh, people groups and different countries and, and stuff that the Bible talked about that nobody ever heard of anywhere else. And people would say, well, see, the Bible's wrong. Nobody's ever heard of these places. But then archaeology happens, people dig, and they find references to these things. And, and at the end of, and Time Magazine is kind of liberal, right? And at the end of the article, basically what they said was, archaeology has never discovered anything to disprove the Bible, only things that proved that the Bible was true. So that was pretty cool. Um, other records discovered, like Jericho. You know, the Bible talks about Jericho and the walls going straight down, right? Not not going out to the side or whatever. They went straight down. Well, they found Jericho. They dug it up, and sure enough, they saw that the walls went straight down. So archaeology proving the scriptures. Then you have the prophetic, the prophetic evidence, prophecies that have come true, such as the events surrounding Jesus' birth and death, all prophesied right, centuries before it happened, or the accurate description in Daniel of the, of the major world power splitting up into four uh, world powers and how that came true, again, hundreds of years later. Um, so we have the prophetic evidence. One of the biggest evidences to me of the validity of the scriptures is the power that it has to transform the lives of people. And I'm one of them. Praise God. The Bible's own testimony says it is God-breathed. It says holy men of old were, were moved by the Holy Spirit to write what God wanted them to write. Right? God's own word. So, a lot of evidence to the validity of the Scripture. But what I want to focus on this morning is why is the Bible why is God's word such a gift to you and me? Number one, it is truth upon which we can depend. It's truth upon which we can depend. Not only have people tried through the years to eradicate the Bible, they have tried scientifically, philosophically, historically, and other ways to refute it. No one has ever categorically refuted the scriptures. No one has proven it false. But more than that, we have the testimony of Jesus himself. Jesus, John 17, 17, says, Sanctify them in the truth. Here we go. Your word is truth. Your word is truth. Why is that so important? We need truth, don't we? We need truth. Something to stand on, something solid to build our lives upon. 
we, we all have something at the core of our understanding that, that shapes our whole lives, right? That, that, that our beliefs are, come from, and therefore our thoughts, our actions, all stem from what we believe to be true. Can you imagine if all of our lives were, were based on something that was inaccurate? How messed up that would be, right? So we need truth because everything we are and do is built upon that truth. So thank God for his word. So when we hear this over here, philosophy, and that over there, and this guy's saying that, and that lady's saying that, and this, that, and the other, we have a place to go to check it out. Right, like the Bereans, even when Paul was preaching. Of course, we give Paul, you know, Paul. Um, but the Bereans listened to what Paul said, and what did they do? They went back to the scriptures and said, okay, let's check this out. It was he, is this guy telling us the truth or what? Right? We have the scriptures. Not that, Paul. <laughs> we can check him out in men's group, though. When Paul says something, go back see if it's true. Truth for us that we can depend on. The second reason that the Word of God is such a gift to us, it is the wisdom of God given to us to guide our lives. Wisdom from God, right, to guide our lives. Your Word, the psalmist says, is a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. As we try to navigate through life, right, the twists and turns and things going on, the specific decisions that you and I make day by day by day, what we do in this situation, how to handle that situation, how to handle that relationship, God, the creator of human life and human beings, who knows it all, says here is a book of wisdom to show you about life and how to live it. Joshua 1.8 says this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that was, is written in it. Watch this. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. How many parents, grandparents, want your kids and grandkids to succeed? Right? So what do you do? You give them the benefit of your wisdom, right? Much of which is born out of our mistakes, right? So we give them the benefit of our wisdom so that they can succeed. Why would God be any different? He wants us to succeed. So he gives us a book full of wisdom and guidance for our lives. Third reason that the Bible is such a gift to us. In the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it is our offensive weapon, our only offensive weapon, but it is our offensive weapon against the enemy, uh, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. When Jesus was tempted by the devil, Matthew chapter 4, verse 8, this is after his third temptation, it says again, the devil took him up to a very high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This was a temptation to Jesus because the Bible even calls Satan the God of this world, right? 
When, when Adam and Eve fell in the garden, when they sinned in the garden, what did they do? They, they, instead of believing God and what he said, they believed the devil and what he said, right? They, they came under his rebellion against God. They sold out. Right? God had said, you know, let's make man in our image and let them rule over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. They gave them managership over the whole earth. Right? And all of it, what, all that would come later. And Adam and Eve joining Satan's rebellion put that all under his control. That's why he's called the God, small g, of this world, the prince of the power of the air. He runs the system of this world. Right? So he says to Jesus, listen, I'm going to give you the easy way out here. All you have to do is fall down and worship me. I give it all to you. You can be king of all these things. Right? And Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him. Three times the devil tempted Jesus in the wilderness. Three times Jesus came back with, It is written. It is written. Three times he comes back to the Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. Right? Knowing that word and quoting it against the devil's lies sends him packing. That's how we use the sword of the Spirit. Right? We, we, we don't, uh, there used to be a Bible sitting here. We don't, we don't, you know, take a book and jab people with it, right? Um, no. Knowing it, understanding it, quoting it, using it against the devil's lies, because that's, that's the only thing he's got against us is his lies, right? How do we combat lie? With truth, right? So, we quote the word against the lies, sends the devil packing so he can go find easier prey who don't understand the word of God, don't know it, don't read it, don't care to, right? And along that same line, number four, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. Fourth reason, the word of God is living and it's active. It has power built into it. It's not an ordinary book. It's the words of God himself. When God's word is proclaimed, it has power in it. Right? Not only power over the enemy, but power to transform our lives. How many of us are here today because of the word of God, specifically the gospel? Someone shared the word of God with us. Someone shared the gospel that Jesus died on the cross. Where do we get that from? We get it from the word of God. That Jesus died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, so that we then receiving him and trusting in him can have our sins forgiven and be reconciled to God. That's the gospel that comes from the word of God. How many have been changed by that word, right? For, forever. Our lives are different because of that powerful word. How God used that word to penetrate, you know, that division of soul and spirit. He penetrated our hearts, our formerly hardened hearts to him. He penetrated that with the word 
caused us to realize that we were sinners, and yet not with condemnation, but with love drawing us to himself. He helped us to realize that he loves us and wants a relationship with us. And that word changed us. And finally, the greatest reason that the word of God is a gift to us, in my mind, is that God interacts with us through his word. God himself interacts with us personally through his word. I could write you a letter, right? Um, and that letter, I could tell you, you know, that you're important to me, that you matter to me, you're valuable, right? That I care about you. Um, and, and, and I could, in that letter, I could give you some great advice, maybe, you know, because uh, I'm getting it from the Word. But the whole reason we have letters is because we're not there. Right? That's what a letter is. It's a message from someone who isn't physically present with us. But God is present in His Word. He's everywhere at once. But He, he is, He is, and, and there's, there's mystery about it. Um, it's just kind of hard to, to really explain it. Um, but that's why Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. God is present with his word. You can't separate the two. He, he meets us in it and he speaks to us directly and personally, either when we're reading it um, or, or maybe we're listening to a, a sermon online or something where we're getting the word of God um, or, or bringing, God bringing to our remembrance, the Holy Spirit bringing to our remembrance something that we've read before, and then all of a sudden that word is transformed. Um, picture this. Picture this. You're going through a rough time. Okay, You're going through a difficult time. And I, I personally, I like to go to the Psalms when I'm going through a tough time. And so you're in the Psalms, and you go to Psalm 3. And Psalm 3 says this, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. You ever felt that? Like, okay, we got it's not just one thing. It's got this problem and this problem and this problem. And they're all screaming, there's no salvation for you and God. God's not going to help you. You're done. You're toast. Right? Which is exactly how David felt. But then he says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And as we're there in that tough place and we're reading that word and all of a sudden God enters into that word and he says, you know, that's right. Don't be afraid. I am the I am. And I love you. I am your shield. I am your glory. I am the lifter of your head. Right? He reminds us of who he is. He reminds us of his great love for us. He reminds us that he is with us, never to leave us or forsake us. But he meets us there in that word and transforms that fear and that anxiety into hope and into peace. Not, not up here. Not just, okay, I, I, I get that. No, it happens in here because God is present and he is speaking to us in it. 
Not long ago, uh, something happened that threw a wrench into something that I was working on, and it really frustrated me and, and just 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 sent me into a tailspin. I was reacting um, just just mentally. I, I was not in a good place. Um, really aggravated me what happened. And, and after I worked out for a while, doing something productive with that energy that, that I needed to do, um, the Lord brought back to me the words of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, where Paul uh, was facing a very difficult spot. And uh, remember, if, if you're familiar with it, it was just he called it his thorn in the flesh. And I, and I love it that the Bible never defines it because it's so applicable to so many things. Uh, so he's going through this tough time. And the great apostle says, I pled with the Lord three times. Get me out of this, Lord. Take this away, Lord. And what was God's answer if you've read it? My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in your weakness. Right? God reminded me of that. And he reminded me of what, what Paul said after that. He said, so therefore, I delight in hardship. You got a fever, you know? Is this, uh, this guy need, uh, need some help? Has he gone off his rocker? I delight in hardship and in weakness and in difficulties. Are you nuts? How could he say that? I mean, how could he really realistically say that? He says, for when I am weak, I have discovered that now I receive God's strength. I receive his wisdom. I receive his word into my life. I receive his strength physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually to deal with the situation. Because I'm not looking to myself. I'm not trying to deal with it on my own. Right? I've, I've, I've come to the end of my rope, the end of myself, and so now I'm tapping into something greater. And therefore, now I'm looking ahead and I'm saying, okay, you know, um, when it comes, I know that now I'm in a difficult situation. I'm going to see the grace of God. I'm going to see the power of God in my life. And so the Lord met me in that, reminded me of that passage and said, Ron, you know, you're going to face challenges in life. You're going to face things that, that you're not expecting, that are not going to be pleasant, that are going to come on you suddenly. So what are you going to do? Are you going to respond to that situation? Are you going to react to it? Are you going to let it throw you into a, a, a tizzy, into a tailspin, and get all caught up in that thing? Or are you going to look to me and expect me to meet you in that situation with my grace, with my power for your life, with my peace, with my joy in the midst of that thing? And then you, Ron, can become like Paul. So that you're walking through life going, you know what? Yes, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face stuff I don't want to face. Difficulties, hardships, challenges. But it's okay. Because I'm looking forward to what God's going to do in that situation. How he's going to meet me in that. And show me his goodness and his love and his salvation. I don't have to fear 
but you're around the corner. Because I'm looking, because I know God's around the corner with that thing before it ever happens. Right? So you see how God met me in his word. How he, you know, in the midst of my emotions and, and all this kind of stuff, God said, hey, remember this passage. And he began to speak that to my heart personally in my situation. And I just love that. So many times, you know, you and I are, are going through tough things um, or, or confusing things, frustrating things, things we don't understand. And, and the answer is in this book. The answer is in his word. He wants to speak to us, give us direction, give us hope, give us peace, show us his love. But we chase down this and this and this and this and all these other things while the book stands on the shelf. When he wants to meet us, not just give us ideas, not just give us something, oh yeah, I understand that concept. No, God wants to meet us in his word. What an awesome gift to you and I. Amen? Do you see it? Whether we're reading it then, or God is bringing it back to our remembrance, God uses his word to speak personally to us. Actually, that's the main way that God communicates to us. You realize that, right? 95% of the time, God speaks to us through his word. You want to hear from God? You need a word from God? You need, you need some clarity? You need some direction? Open the book. And, and don't do the finger plop method. Just, just go along right where you're reading or pick some place, whether it's the Psalms, whether it's the Gospel of John, whether it's the book. Just read and say, God, I need, I need to hear from you. I need to hear from you. Don't do the finger plop method. You know, okay. Okay, and Judas went out and hanged himself. Okay, not bad. That must not be it. Okay, let's open it up again. Uh, go thou and do likewise. Uh, no. People get in trouble with the finger plop method of hearing from God, so don't do that. Just read. Just read. Trust God to speak. Be amazed um, how he can speak through Romans into your situation, or Galatians, or one of the Gospels, or Isaiah. Right? And boom, there it is. He's good like that. So, if you want to hear from God, don't leave the gift of his word unopened. Amen? God's word is truth you and I can depend on. It's God's wisdom to guide our lives. It's our weapon against the attacks of the enemy. It has power to transform our lives. And it's what God uses to speak personally to you and me. God's holy word, the Bible, the scriptures. What an incredible gift. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do thank you for your word. 
that you have preserved it over centuries, that, that it's just, uh, we have it. I, I think of, of people in other countries that, that would just give their left arm for a page, and we, we can go to the store and pick up three copies in three different translations, etc. Lord, what a, what a, find it online. Uh, have, have it on our phones, uh, listen to it on CD or MP3 or whatever, God. Your word is, is so available to us. Remind us of that, Lord. Remind us that you want to speak to us. Remind us of all these ways that it's such a gift. Draw us into it, Lord, and be glorified, we pray. And it's through Christ we pray. Amen.